Welcome to the Real Point Podcast. My name's Connor. My name's Freya. The purpose of this podcast is to examine good double features. So to take two films to find out what they have in common, where they differ, what their similarities are, what themes, concepts, ideas, morals that they all have in common, and to find out what works and what doesn't, and to find out if it's a good double feature for you. So listen to our podcast and enjoy! So, for this particular episode, the first episode, the inaugural first episode, I guess we're talking about uh, folk horror, um, a genre that I guess you could say is actually relatively small. Um, it's definitely niche as far as um, horror movie genres go. Yeah, um, I think you only have like a few. Yeah, and it doesn't often tend to exist outside of British productions mostly, with the uh, exception of one of the ones that we're already talking about. Yes, I think like... Folk horror isn't a very American thing. No. At all. No. I think that it's mostly like British or f- in foreign films, yeah, maybe. More so like friend, yeah, yeah, European and stuff. Um, or Scandinavian. Not that off the top of my head I can tell you yeah. any, but um, that's more so where like folklore comes from. Yeah. So because it's not the same sort of thing in the States. There, are, there isn't many. No, American absolutely. Movies. I think the closest thing Americans have probably got to is having that movie twist where it's on an ancient Indian burial ground of some kind. <laughs> yes, no, um, 100%. Like that, um, oh God, what was that terrible American film made um, about the girl that goes to the suicide woods in Japan? Oh, yeah, The, the Forest, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, with, that, um, that, which was there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one overall. Um, there's not many examples to draw from. So, I guess with this one in particular, we're kind of going from one extreme to the other. So, uh, the first one up being probably the quintessential one. In fact, as I read earlier, um, Cine Fantastic magazine has described it as the Citizen Kane of horror movies, which is definitely a bold mm. statement. And then going straight into something a bit more recent, which was um, Ari Aster's Midsommar, mm-hmm. um, which is an American piece. So probably plenty ripe for comparison as well to see how sort of differently they do it and to see especially how how it's aged and how... Yes. Um, the the sort of sensibilities of nineteen seventy three versus the sensibilities of twenty nineteen. Um, so that's certainly going to be an interesting point of comparison. So that's a thirty year gap. A bit more than that now. Just about forty fifty. Ne- nearly forty. My math is really bad, so I'll probably seventy three. Seventy three. Eighty three. Ninety three. Oh 92. no, you're right. It's over forty years. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Wow. So yeah, plenty of right for comparison there. So I guess we should just go straight into it and then start with the Wicker Man. Great, so The Wicker Man is um, made in 1973. It's directed by Robin Hardy and it's written by Anthony Schaefer, or Schaffer, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce it. Um, getting straight into it, um, it starts with, well, the way that most 19 uh, movies from the 1970s do, with all the credits from loaded at the start. Oh, yeah, um, it's it's long, just long. a very long title scene, a very long cr- title credit scene. It's, it's a nice title credit scene. No, it is, yeah, it is. yeah. Um, in fact, if anything, it probably helps um, lure you into that false sense of security where you're kind of like, this is quite nice. Like, it's just him and he's playing. And, and the nice just, song in the back. Yeah, it, it starts off with a very nice song, um, which I've noted here as being something about magic and 100 cheap. Um, sung by a lady and it's very it's very nice it's very melodic and it's just nice and sort of chilled out and lots of landscape shots uh, lots of airplane shots a lot of aerial shots in general it reminds me a lot of The Shining in a weird way yes um, no, yes. just yeah and it's actually surprisingly quite light and then the song changes to one that you're going to hear multiple times during the course of the entire film which I've made, made a bit of a running joke about um, corn rigs and barley rigs yes 
One of the great songs of its time. Um, yeah, well, actually, um, in my in my research, I discovered that uh, that song, the corn rigs, barley rigs song, whatever, is actually um, essentially a sort of remake of a song um, by Robert Burns. Yes, no, I was, um, I was about to actually bring that up later yeah. on. Um, one of the <clears throat> biggest influences for the music in this film yeah. was the fact that a lot of Robert Burns' poetry was made into song, Yeah. Um, and they loved that, and they yeah. thought that... Um, they wanted to use something like that and that was one of the things that I was going to bring up that obviously yeah. that sort of song was in the same sort of style as Robert Burns which yeah. obviously us being from Scotland yeah. mostly people in school are, yeah. you know we know what a yeah, baseline like understanding of yeah, Robert um, Burns poetry the work. Um, I guess going on the subject of music as there's plenty of it in the intro as well um, the music was done was it by Paul Giovanni it was it was I double checked that because it was Paul Giovanni it was Paul Giovanni yeah. but the music was performed by Magnet Okay, yes, yes. Um, so, so he he wrote all the music. Yes, uh, Magnet performed it. Yeah. Um, supposedly, um, they had another group in mind, um, but apparently Magnet were cheap. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, the producer, whose name I've forgotten, but I will definitely be able to come back to it later, uh, apparently wanted them to use uh, students um, to perform the music as it would be cheaper. Cheap. Yeah. Um, but apparently, um, the sort of local universities and stuff essentially said no because it was too much extra work for them and they yeah. didn't want their students essentially working for free. Um, but we'll talk Which more about Which is fair the, yeah. for its time. Like, Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't know what the sort of budget for The Wicker Man was, nor do I know anything about economics to tell you what the budget of The Wicker Man mm. in 1973 would be in real life money today. Um, but obviously, I'd imagine that this is more or less kind of the indie film of its time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, we'll talk more about music as it comes up. Yes, um, yeah. Because there's plenty more things to talk about when it I think that's comes such a music. massive part of it. It definitely is. is. Um, and the soundtrack, I do remember because when I was younger, we used to have the soundtrack on CD. Mm. Um, so it's become like the songs alone yeah. are like even separately from The Wicker Man, mm -hmm. a massive thing as well as the movie. Well, um, I guess um, before we go any further, we should really just say um, sort of what our experience actually is with Wicker Man. Um, this is the second time we've watched this together. Yes. Uh, the last time, or the first time we watched it together, we watched the director's cut. This time, um, for the sake of this podcast, we watched the theatrical cut, mm -hmm. um, of which there are definitely noticeable differences, but we'll probably talk about that as the sort of scenes crop up. Um, beforehand, how many times did you watch The Wicker Man? Um, um. I'd say over five at least. I'd probably say more or less the same. I, it was my mum that showed me The Wicker Man. Yeah. Um, back when I was pretty young. Mm. So I'd say about 12. Yeah, I'd probably say the same more yeah. or less. Um, and I definitely watched it, I want to say on film four mm. at some point. Yeah. Because it was one of those films that would be shown on film four. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, just over the years sort of seen it, but definitely more than five. Yeah. I would say more or less the same. Um, when I was a teenager, I was absolutely obsessed with this movie. The The copy of the movie that I have on DVD, um, which is a great little edition if I do say so myself, it's <laughs> really one of my favourite DVDs on my shelf. Um, it's in a really nice yarn sleeve um, with a really nice print on the cover. Um, I actually only got that because it was in HMV as a re-release um, before the Nicolas Cage movie came out about a couple of months. So again um, I'd seen all those things you see on Channel 4 or whatever where it was like the top one of scariest moments and that was my first exposure to The Wicker Man and mm. I thought what is this this looks great um, and then obviously the, really, uh, the remake came shortly after and that's when I bought the DVD and I watched it with my grandparents which is not a great movie to watch with your grandparents um, for the most part it is until one scene which I'm sure we'll talk about um, 
quite well, shortly there's actually. actually there's a few scenes it, yeah but there's one that's like a long winded out yeah, scene that you don't really want to watch with um, a slightly older relative yes, <laughs> um, yes. and uh, how many times have you seen the remake I've never seen the remake have you not no oh, okay right I've seen, I've seen everyone's seen the clips yeah, yeah, every, the remake, yeah, yeah. but I have never and I probably will never oh well no um, that means that it's ripe for material for later on so then. you <laughs> you've seen it I have yeah, yeah. and how, how would you hold well obviously it's not good no. um, apparently um, doing some extra reading apparently most of the original crew have kind of distanced themselves from it not that they had anything to do with the production of it anyway um, it's an incredibly odd movie that adapts the original film in a lot of very odd ways um sort of making uh, it makes lord samurai a woman oh, um, i it, have heard that yeah it makes um i mean i'm probably completely misremembering this but it's more or less like it's an island of women um and that the men are kind of subservient to the women on the island essentially um oh. they obviously being americans kind of thought that because let i mean if we're being completely honest the wicker man nothing really happens it's a very slow movie no, even by 1970 no, standards it's, it's more it or less is more of a just an everyday yeah, yeah. film well not yeah. an everyday film but like it, it's about everyday life in their community it's not all these crazy no, things no, no, happening of course. They, I mean they aren't if you think about it throughout the film like there's there's stuff that isn't ordinary to us mm-hmm. that they do yeah. but nothing they do is like no, crazy no, no. until obviously like, and that's yeah. sort of what makes it so appealing but obviously um, of, I guess American studio heads didn't necessarily see it that way so from what I remember it, uh, there's a lot of dream sequence jump scares uh, a lot of dead body jump scares there's mm. a great bit where Nicolas Cage punches a woman in the face which is great um, obviously the bee scene that everybody remembers yeah, um, but I think more than anything is that there's a lot more in the way of like uh, more violence and stuff that actually happens it's more action oriented so there's I mean before the Wicker Man scene in the remake um, they actually like break both these legs and stuff and it's very drawn out and it's very violent mm. and quite painful looking and stuff so I feel like it was just one of those things where it's like uh, you know a studio head with a cigar in his mouth is oh, kind of, of like course. well nothing's really happening like let's yeah. let's make you know um, so yeah I've not watched that again since then um, but I mean it's definitely for the sake of posterity probably worth a little watch mm. again um, so should we I mean most people have seen, well I don't want to say most people have seen the Wicker Man most people know no, the ending. The, the ending yeah. of Wickerman, but I don't know if should we sum it up the basis of the film. Yeah, um, since we've only kind of just been talking about the intro. Sorry, it's just of... <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we've just been... before we do, <clears throat> there is so much you can unlock yeah, from the. Yeah, before we get into the actual sort of plot as it happens, obviously, going from the intro and shortly after, we learn that um, Sergeant Simon Howie is being called to the island of Summer Isle to look for a missing girl called. Uh, Rowan Morrison. Which is set on an island in Scotland. It is indeed, yes. Um, although apparently there is a small archipelago somewhere off the coast of Scotland actually called Summer Isle, apparently. Oh, okay. um, but it's not that Summer not Isle. That Summer Isle. Yeah. Um, he goes to look for this missing girl that has been apparently missing for several months, uh, close to a year or something, about seven to eight months to a year, I think they said yeah, in the movie. Yeah, I think it was about. And then is kind of met, not with hostility, but met with almost indifference and a sort of um, overwhelming sense of confusion from uh, everybody that he meets on the island. Um, and very I get nosy island. A very nosy island. Um, they're all very much aware of each other's business, and obviously you kind of get the sneaking suspicion that something's wrong and that someone's sort of like playing behind his back a little bit as he sort of goes on. And I guess probably the most important thing to bring up as well is that um, 
Sergeant Howie is indeed a uh, um, very not radical, um, but he's definitely a very fundamentalist Christian type, oh, um, which is a big thing um, for the majority of the movie, which I'm sure we'll get into as yeah. it goes on. Um, so that's the sort of general plot, really. Yeah, um, there isn't much more of a plot. Most, no. of that, most of the film is sort of like a crime. Well, not so much a crime film, but it is about trying to work yeah. out where the, what's happened to this missing person, and that is the basis of the film. There isn't much. Yeah. It is quite a ordinary. It very much is, yeah. Um, nothing like you know, obviously it's uh, it's folky also in the way that um, like you know, obviously it's the seventies as well. So it's like not like they're bringing in like swarms of like investigative teams. It's literally one guy, and he turns up on a mm-hmm. seaplane, yeah. and then has to use a megaphone to get like the locals to like bring him in on a dinghy. And apparently that's even difficult when it's like bring out the dinghy, and they're just like, no, we can't. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a bit of, a bit weird. Which um, is kind of like if you have ever gone to these really small mm-hmm. islands, yeah, absolutely. It is kind of like they don't have. Not that people wouldn't bring you out a dinghy. Really. No, 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 <laughs> of course, probably yeah. would, but um, th- there's sometimes only one way in and one way out. And exactly. It is a boat, yeah. Um, which obviously for even the time that the film was made. Yeah. Not everyone's used to that sort of. Of course, absolutely. You know? Not even just like in islands, but even just anywhere in Scotland. Yeah. Like, you know, um, just small towns. Like small, if, yes. if you're not from there, they they yeah. can sense you from a mile away. Yeah. Um, it's one of those films that as soon as they introduce the town folk. Yeah. If you've ever been to a tall, yeah. a small town in Scotland, you know exactly how yeah. it feels walking. And it's into not a even that the Scotland. it's not even that the people are like sort of directly like inhospitable. Is that they're. I don't know. It's it's kind of they're almost indifferent to you being there, and to an outsider, like that indifference is probably a little bit damning. Yeah. Where it they might feel that you know they're being unhelpful and inhospitable, but they're not. It's actually just that they're just not used to seeing strangers more often than not. Yes, I think as well you get that sort of vibe that they aren't very for the police. Mm, yeah. They don't want people getting involved in their yeah. their town, no matter mm-hmm. what it's about you can yeah. sort of tell that they like things how they are oh, yeah, they don't yeah. want people coming in and you know changing things from which um, even actually comes up at a later point where um, he goes to try and get um, some kind of I think a, well, a death certificate or something like that and he sort of speaks to the lady at the desk and he says well I'm a police officer you have to give me these files or whatever and she goes no you have to speak to Lord Summerhill instead that um, the police don't hold power here essentially which yes. is a um, but you know whether like you know the the position of being a police officer for Howie in this movie is more that he's kind of an authority figure. I mean that does come up towards the end as well, but it's more that he sort of has the moral right as well because he's a good Christian man. But that's gonna again we're probably getting yeah. a bit ahead of ourselves. Yes, no. So like a big basis of it is the religious background of yeah. the film, which is very apparent from very soon on. Um, I can't remember if they mentioned that he's Christian. Uh, no, I don't think they mentioned he's Christian straight away. But um, they do sort of hint towards the religion on the island straight away because yeah. when he lands on the island, one of the first things you see is the flag with the sun symbol. Yes. It, yeah. Which, um, I mean, you you don't have to take a lot of that away, but no. I mean, a lot of this is like Celtic religion and to do with the gods and the old gods yeah, yeah. especially. Um, and you have the sun gods, and this is obviously set yeah. um, around May time, so you think of like sort of that all sort of linked together. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of clues in the Wicker Man as to what's going on. Yeah. Um, but very <coughs> subtly, it's not yeah. too in your face. Um, but yeah, straight away from that moment, you sort of get an idea that there is going to be an indifference. From exactly. 
Um, and we get that more or less immediately because obviously after the intro is over he lands and then has some trouble apparently getting a dinghy out to come and pick him up and he meets a small group of um, sort of harbour master, well the harbour master and a small group of I guess uh, sort of fishing uh, seafarer types and mm. um, he shows them a picture of Rowan um, to which really great um, I remember that they actually noted this as well there's a great sweeping shot where the camera just pans as he sort of hands the photo over to all the guys they pass the photo around and the camera just sort of pans around and follows them as they all just kind of look at it and just go nah I've never seen yeah. this girl in my life um, so then by that moment you wonder is it, is this person really from that island yeah. if these people don't recognise them as soon as he says the second name of the mum yeah. it was Morrison um, who is obviously a well known person from the island that owns the post office post slash office sweet shop, shop. Um, they say of course that they know who she is yeah. but that's not her daughter May Morrison yeah so as soon as from that scene he then obviously goes straight to well I need to point <laughs> I need to point out that um, during the title credits like I said earlier they, we have a sort of nice slow melodic song um, and then it cuts into the, the Barley song uh, for the rest of the opening credits and then after he has a conversation with all the um, guys at the harbour um, as he's walking through town just kind of exploring you see that people are kind of jumping out of their houses and looking at him like who's that fella mm. and all the, all swell this is happening and the mood is slightly ominous the barley song is playing again being incredibly upbeat as he just sort of wanders through the town until he gets to the post office I think he's keeping an upbeat sort of a, a, a great thing that like a lot of a, you learn by throughout the film is that the sort of British humour in it that it is this weird ominous like atmosphere but at the same time it's so incredibly weirdly upbeat yeah. and the music's upbeat and the yeah. people are very yeah. over the top oh the joke's always on him um, so just it is there. that very great British sort of humour yeah. of um, just a bit like laughing at the main character throughout the film yeah. which becomes more apparent further on but sort of by the start when you've got this weird sort of atmosphere and upbeat yeah. music you sort of start to sort of realise that there is a lot of humour in it yeah um, so then um, Sergeant Howie arrives at the post office and starts talking to uh, May Morrison um, Rowan Morrison's mother um, and again doesn't really get very far in terms of um, getting any sort of answers or any sort of reasonable explanation as to why he's being called here and where Rowan is or what's and happened she, to her. She denies as well. It's absolutely it's yeah. her daughter. Yeah. And then you get introduced to her other daughter. Who she says is her actual daughter. Yeah. Um but since the mother is actually denied it, then you sort of then very much start to doubt. Yeah where this, this girl is or if she's even real and then her supposed other daughter is apparently in the living room um, painting pictures of hairs which is a recurring thing that will come up quite a lot hairs are a massive theme yeah absolutely um, he also kind of very ominously uh, almost kind of foreshadowing a lot of the kind of things um, he helps a little girl paint the, the hair um, and when he picks up the paintbrush he gets paint on his hands um, he's clearly a little bit irate by this, but if anything, that's probably if it was red paint, it'd be a lot, a little bit more explicit. But it's, I think it's like blue or green or something. Yeah. So it kind of, but it's still kind of just like, oh god, this guy, guy's day is having a terrible time. Yeah, he seems to be very aggravated throughout. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. By little things rather than him sort of brushing things off, but yeah. he seems to get very irate very easily he does, by yeah. the townspeople. Um, he does actually like. I mean, and, and to be honest, like, I'm bringing this up now, but this. In my notes here, literally the very, very first thing I have that I've written is, I love Edward Woodward. He is absolutely fantastic in this movie. Like, oh, he's great. He's kind of an arsehole. Um, and to be honest, you're not rooting for him to get what he d gets in the end, but you are kind of just like, 
there's a reason these people are kind of treating you the way that they are is because you're kind of an arsehole <laughs> like yeah. um but he is absolutely fantastic in it and to oh, be honest i'm not gonna incredible in it yes like, and i'm is. not gonna lie like i don't I, I wouldn't say that i've seen him in anything else but obviously another one of our personal favorites which kind of proves um the sort of influence of the wicker man years later is that um he's uh he's in hot fuzz who is he in Hot Fuzz? He is the police captain guy. He's uh, Nick Frost's dad in Hot Fuzz. So kind of like one of the guys in the cult at the end. Oh, yeah. so, oh god, yes, yes. Another guy yeah, that's like, course. oh, the last, yes. the last sergeant. He had yeah. a great big bushy beard, that yeah. guy. Um, which I it, forget they're the same person. Yeah, you yeah. Know that? That's crazy. Yeah, I know, because obviously he's much, much older. Of course, um, but that of course. kind of, I mean, that's just the most Edgar Wright thing you can do is kind of like, obviously Edgar Wright, I think it said in the past that he loves Worker Man anyway, but to have that sort of like, extra reference in it really sort of goes of a long way and just kind of shows the influence of the movie as a whole so, um, yeah. and it is great and then really from here you sort of move into how even crazier the town is <laughs> because um, you're introduced and more symbolism towards like Celtic and everything you have the green man in yes which is a massive nod towards yeah. like Celtic folklore yeah. and nature and spiritualism and everything I mean the green man is massive in Roslyn, mm. which is near us, um, that's a huge thing. Mm. Um, so to have the the in itself called that is kind of very much making it split. That yeah. this is a a completely different sort of town yeah. from what he's used to. And that pub is def well. The inn in general is um, a great stepping off point into a little bit of extra weirdness. Um, again, referring to my notes, I have uh, pretty much in all caps um, outlined with an exclamation mark at either end is campy landlord who might just be yeah. my favorite character i actually completely miss picking yeah. up his name but before before you meet the landlord mm. it's a very um werewolf from london scene yeah uh, yeah you have when he steps into the pub yeah. and they're all laughing and they're all talking and like playing music yeah and it falls absolutely silent yeah which um is a great way of showing how small towns are yeah, like absolutely. scottish islands um, um but it's not even to say that they're actually unwelcoming either because as we sort of get into this scene as well um we meet the meet the campy landlord and he says oh my my, my daughter willow will uh, show you the room and stuff she doesn't even get as far as doing that before they People launch in singing. yeah they, yes. they launch into a musical number uh, about the landlord's daughter and there's a whole lot of dancing and there's like a lot of uh, sort of synchronized um synchronized um like you know line deliveries and stuff and yeah. it's it's a good it's a good old fun time and to be honest you actually kind of get into the spirit of it before um how he acts like a total knob and tries to shut them down yeah so that's also the first part that you realise that the songs are kind of important to the storyline yeah. to sort of tell you what's going on. So that's the landlord's daughter song. Yeah. So it kind of hints, which is kind of it's kind of a harsh song. Oh god, yeah. And she just <laughs> kind of she, she she sits she there and kind of listens to it. Yeah. And I mean, I, like I get that obviously the community are very like close knit. No, like um, very like pro sex. Yeah, yeah, and like sexualisate like they're not the same as being very yeah. you know uptight and stuff so she sort of laughs it all off but it's basically hinting that everyone fancies her yeah. and she's so pretty um, and she's also she's also quite full of herself as well yeah no, like, no yeah. of course um, but it's also hinting that she is she's been around and she yeah, knows what's yeah. uh, the village bike is it well yes not, um, not, not, not a very horrible term uh, I, pardon um, me even her dad is saying about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's a weird one. Uh, um, apparently, um, uh, the guy who played her dad was apparently only four years older than her in real life. Um, they do not like four years old. Apparently, yeah. Um, 
I guess the funny thing is, um, Britt Eklund plays um, Willow, who's, I guess, not an antagonistic force, but she definitely has some sort of leeway in the plot in terms of, like, sort of luring Howie aside a little bit. I think she is the, the luring character. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, yeah. Uh, to, test, to test his faith, I think, is yeah, the yeah. best way to put... She is definitely the character that is the yeah. main one testing his faith throughout this absolutely whole scene, um, especially after this scene when he finally goes to his room. Yes, um, and it is the big other scene that people remember. Yeah. We should probably talk about a couple of other things before we get oh, into yes, that because there's a couple more things that happen. Um, but uh, I guess the the um, the bar song gets shut down um, by Howie uh, after a good amount of time. Like you know, we had all that time to like turn it off earlier but no he, he sort of chooses his moment and then sort of shuts them all down and tells everybody why he's there but then also basically just tells them they're a bunch of godless heathens like more or less immediately which is a um, lot he does that a lot he does do, he does he does do that a lot um but this is i guess the first real instance of him kind of just flexing his weight in terms of um his religion and stuff and sort of what he thinks of them and he makes it quite clear i mean he doesn't he certainly doesn't mince any words um <clears throat> Um, sort of going about the pub and stuff as well uh, obviously he confronts everybody um, and then he realises that there's a bunch of pictures on the wall of previous um, I was gonna, I was about to say something else completely um, but the girls who have been sort of like the, the past it's the Harvest Festival the Harvest Festival the yep. Harvest Festival girls they have the the different pictures for yes. every year who has been the the queen of the harvest festival yeah. i was trying not to say the phrase that's used for the same thing in the other movie that we're yes, talking about yes um, no, it's hard remember. to yeah, because it is the same it time like, yeah well not the same time it's the same time of year that all this yeah. is set um so they have every single painting apart from not right, painting one full yeah but of last year's yeah um which helps to obviously cover up if brown is a real person or not yeah um and obviously when he questions it they they straight away say that it's being fixed because it's broken yeah. Um, but everyone says they still don't know who this girl is. Yeah. Um, he then gets his room key and stuff. He also has dinner there um, where um, the beans are blue. And that's yes, a no, that was I was actually going to highlight that. Yeah. It's yeah. weird coloured veg. Yes. And they say that that is just how the veg grows. Yes. Um, as he sort of rightly says, and something comes up quite a lot, is uh, nothing on God's green earth grows like this. Um, and then Britt Eklund makes a sort of remark about how things just aren't necessarily normal all the time and you know shouldn't knock it just because it's slightly different yeah. um but it's definitely a bit weird um and Brett Eklund is also just a bit weird in general um he then leaves the pub for a walk which is also a bit of a weird scene and a little bit again I don't know um we can talk about a couple of things as they come up as well about um scenes that aren't in this theatrical cut versus what's in the director's cut and the scene where he leaves the bar for a walk before sort of retiring for the night um, sees him sort of leave the pub and then sees a bunch of people having an orgy in a field almost directly outside. It's in very slow motion. It's in very well. slow motion. It's very Which dreamy and very weird. intentional. Yeah. Um, to show you how, how intense the whole thing mm, is. Yeah. To like watch. I mean, he's obviously just walked out and seen this. Yeah. And someone that has been made clear that they're yeah. very religious. Yeah. Um, thinks that people are heathens just for singing a song yeah. about people having sex um, is obviously very shocking to him and I think it's very shocking to probably people at the time that it came out watching it yeah potentially yeah. Um, this isn't something normal no no, no it's not it's not, don't, not that I mean it's not a normal thing it is a normal thing but um, 
it's not something you would see every day no, going no, outside course, yeah. and there's a whole bunch of people outside exactly yeah. having sex. Um, I mean this is uh, I guess kind of something as well is that we have we did watch the director's cut a while ago I don't remember it perfectly but there are a lot more scenes in it um, due to unfortunately how the sort of production of the movie went a lot of that original footage that was in um, Robin Hardy's original cut sort of got lost to time and was eventually found again um, which is why if you watch it you'll notice that there's a noticeable difference in quality in terms of the picture and the sound yeah. um, there is uh, an extra scene we, I think we've already passed this I'm not too sure if it happens oh no it's just about to come up uh, where we kind of get um, a church flashback when he sort of leaves that scene um, with everybody sort of having sex outside in the middle of the night when he goes back to the inn to get rest he prays by his bedside and then there's a brief flashback where you see him sort of delivering a sermon oh yes trick. yes when he's yeah and then you realize sort of how intense oh, yes. his religious um, he's background very devout, is yeah. i mean he's taking a sermon yeah and the so this is very setting up how important religion is to him and yeah. obviously how shocked he is by seeing what the people are yeah are doing in this community which is then <laughs> completely sets up for while he's praying mm. that's when willow does the dance comes through and sort of knocks on his door and yeah. asks him to come through and then you've got the song about basically just wanting to have sex yeah just um i mean it is yeah it's a, it's a, it's a luring song yeah, yeah as you sort of said good, like yes, it is a wooing song. um it is kind of like what you'd imagine like a mermaid would sing on a rock to get 100%, sailors over yeah, yeah that's a good that's a good way of um yeah it's um sort of a trying to lure someone in yeah absolutely i mean it's obviously something that on this island is seen as a very mm. normal thing yeah. which is great but um yes for him it's and you do sort of see in the scene how much it is testing his thing oh yeah, yeah. like you, you do see him debate oh yeah he's on he's on the verge of just like, like letting go it go or like go and then he ends up just well, yeah. just going to bed is basically yeah how it, it does end he just goes to yeah bed, he just he essentially just goes to sleep and then the next day again sort of saying like sort of how full of, full of herself she kind of is where uh she basically just says to him the next morning, it's like, I'm surprised you didn't come through. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, it's very um, classy, which yeah, is, yeah. I think, it's like, it makes you realise how very open the village is yes. to all these things. They don't they don't think it's shameful, and they, they, they've they never been taught that it's shameful, so yeah. they are very open about these things, which is completely different, and yeah. obviously him coming from a different community is very shocked by this. Yeah. But then... You do realise when she comes through and see this that he is actually engaged. Yeah, he does and say that he's, um, he's got a fiancé. And yeah. he says that he doesn't believe in premarital sex. Yes. Which um, um, he there makes is also, very clear. There is also in the director's cut um, a scene where he's in church again, but he's actually sitting next to his fiancé. Um, what not is there? Is that yes. That? Okay. Um, speaking of which, in that same director's cut scene, and maybe it's just the same scene or a different scene, um, there's a preacher sort of uh, leading the congregation, and that preacher is actually played by uh, Robin Hardy. Or is Anthony Schaffer? I don't know. It's played by either the writer or the yeah, director, but it's a fun cameo. Um, either that, because I think either the director or the writer again had a cameo as like one of the people in the procession towards the end of the movie. Yeah. That's getting ahead of things. But um, my favorite scene is next. Well, where I can I mention one more thing what? about the singing, oh, no, no, the no, dancing. Course, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not. It's a good song. It's actually quite a good song. I quite liked what, it. The one, the, 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 the one that, song. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, which, by the way, is apparently called How Do. Um, mm-hmm. And as I've discovered by doing some extra research as well, I found out that apparently the same song is played in a movie that I hate but you like um, from Hostel. 
Was it? Apparently, I don't oh. know. I don't know what context they could possibly use that in. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, apparently, it's there though. Um, so take that as you will. We'll have to watch it again to find God, out. That's, uh, um, but so. I actually really just wanted to talk about the the dancing, um, only just because it's, it's straightforward, but also kind of like with pre- presented without context, it's quite funny. Um, it is, but if you think about it, it's quite hypnotic. No, no, absolutely, yeah, the, yeah. The, the yeah. way of the dancing is very what what's a natural kind of dancing. Yeah. It's not it's not like someone no going out of their way to dance. No. It's more just like movement of the body. Yeah, um, she does quite literally do the almost like the big fish, little fish, cardboard box thing at one point. She has her hands <laughs> kind of sitting like kind of at like a, a ninety angle. degree angle. Yeah. Um, there's a point where um, they're kind of like you know the the setup of the scene being that she's doing this in one room and he's. I guess supposedly meant to be in the room next door and they kind of almost communicate through the walls where they're basically all both touching the walls and it's presumed that it's, they're in the same place. Well they are because you yeah. see there's the yeah. bit where he goes to open the, the door, door that goes and through she to closes, her door yeah. and, and they're kind of meeting through the wall and the wall separating them and stuff yeah. and she does that weird thing when he kind of shuts the door it kind of makes like a slamming sound and she doesn't slam the door but she kind of hits it in like a weird rhythm and she does that weird kind of swaying back and forth thing it's not like I just wanted because it is again presented without context hmm. the dancing is almost kind of funny but I get it is as you say is hypnotic as well it, is a very it serves its purpose very well yeah. um, I mean it's also like just purely unedited in a weird way and in, in, in so far as that it's essentially a whole song it's a whole run song oh yes yeah. um, but speaking of music again doing some research I discovered apparently there was a point where um, Robin Hardy told all the cast that they were actually making a musical um, I am not surprised <laughs> the amount of music that is in yeah, this yeah. film there's a lot of it there's a lot of it there's definitely a lot of it and um, they, they allow even if people aren't doing anything like there's a scene later on where um, Hardy's kind of like in a carriage going somewhere and the Barley song just plays again um, almost for an entire runtime the entire song mm. Um, just like in its in its downtime and its quiet time for the points of like sort of reflecting on the plot and stuff it just has music playing um, to sort of fullest extent which is kind of great I quite like that um, but yeah so we're going on to the next scene after that so he wakes up the next day after the weird singing and dancing thing yeah so it's, then... after, it's after they've woken up and he's said obviously that he's engaged mm-hmm. so we're back to that point because um, you've gone back just slightly yes. but yes no from there is literally one of my favourite scenes which is the maple scene. absolutely yep uh, actually top which, of my um, notes here it just says mouth harp <laughs> yes he, he's basically travelling to the children's school yep. where um, Rowan would have gone to see if anyone has any knowledge to where she is there yep. so as he's passing the, the front sort of let's say play area play field I guess yeah um, there's a massive maple yeah <laughs> and um, all the kids it's, it's all the males actually it seems to be are yes. dancing around the maple and they're singing I don't know what the song itself is called I mean I would probably do the, the same song. Yeah, I would just say the maple song um, I mean it's essentially like I mean allow me not to mince words but it is a straight banger it's, oh, it's, it's, it's such, such a, a good song, song. Um, but not even just catchy it sets up so much because it's yep. basically a song about procreation yeah fertility and, fertility and yep. then how it leads to death yeah and it's which sets up like everything that sort of comes yeah. from the film and, uh, um, and it's a very jaunty tune and it also i mean structurally almost like it kind of reminds me of like oh, i'm gonna get this wrong but like you know the kind of um 
there's a hole in the bottom of the sea kind of songs where it's like one of those kind of nonsense songs that starts on one thing and then adds another, 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 another. Yeah, okay. and it's kind of like that and it's like there's once a tree and an apple yeah, it's, sort of, it's sort of like it's, it's a different story each verse yeah so, like something else happens yeah um but yeah, great song. Yeah, but all, <laughs> and also catchy. as with most, uh, as with pretty much all the music in this as well, it's, it's incredibly traditional. Um, yes. It doesn't feel like it was a song that was made just for the movie to sort of like foreshadow ominous events later on. No, no. It, it's just a song it that probably like exists. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, adapted 100%. to sort of like tell the story. It just sounds like a general story. Um, but when you listen to the lyrics, it is obviously which he finds quite frightful yeah. is the fact of what these young children are singing about. Yeah, which. It's crazy because it is just procreation. It's nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's nothing seedier. No, no, no. It's just about what's going on. Yeah. And then that leads to the school, the school, which yep. is the girls inside the school. Yes. So the the boys are outside in the maypole and the girls are inside in class, mm-hmm. and they're learning about phallic imagery. Phallic imagery, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. In all primary schools, um, and obviously they do say as soon as the, when they're talking when he comes in they're talking about what the maypole represents yeah um and straight away the well one of the class members d- doesn't know and um gets sort of shunned for it yeah um but the rest of the class are very eager to yeah. to answer and obviously say that the maypole represents the phallic symbol yeah um so yet again very sexualized and sort of paganistic yeah um, I mean not concept. like yeah I think the way that it's presented as with all the kind of weird sort of sexuality stuff in the movie is that like you know it is you know as any sort of normal person pagan or not would say like you know sex is incredibly natural oh, but obviously that yes. the way that they sort of it's quite it nice the way that they do talk about it so naturally like it's not a taboo obviously no no um, it's just a general thing in life yeah. so I mean that is um, and it feeds into nature like yes. I think that's the thing that she sort of mentions yeah. is that like it's an imagery because of you know it's natural it's essentially a tree you know trees of are like phallus and trees yeah. are part of nature and it's just a big phallus yeah. I mean you're getting to that point now in our day and age where it's becoming a bit more it's, yeah. it's a less of a taboo in our day and age mm-hmm. yeah. but you think about 73 yeah that must have been oh no of course a yeah, big yeah. Thing. Um, um, and then obviously he gets met with again as he seems to kind of almost go everywhere he gets met with a bit of a chilly reception in the school as well um he like <laughs> once again just being a top-notch fundamentalist christian knob just sort of like tells all these young children that they're learning like just awful stuff and that they're be, it should be made to feel terrible for what they're doing and stuff um the teacher is um is quite fun um because she is sort of on an intellectual level that kind of challenges his sort of like belief complex and stuff as well which is quite interesting but again, I guess this kind of leads into um, the sort of so-called spooky bit in this particular scene, where um, obviously there's an empty desk, and he points out, you know, that it's empty and it must have belonged to Rowan. To which obviously all the classmates say that they don't know and that she didn't exist. But her name is indeed on the register when he checks, and when they open up the desk, they find a beetle um, tied up with a string going around a nail. Um, which, by the way, in, uh, in the Nicolas Cage remake. They change that scene so that it's more jump scary, um, so that they open the desk and it's a whole crow that jumps out, because a crow would have sat there incredibly quietly, but it only waits to uh, fly out once the desk is open, even though it probably could force its way out. Um, This is a fun fact that I discovered upon reading. When we were watching it again, um, for the purpose of talking about it, I remember thinking, like, the little girl who says the thing about the beetle, the little girl who put the beetle in the desk, Mm -hmm. um, I remember looking at her and thinking, that's definitely not a child like these are meant to be like 12 year olds 
uh, and apparently, in my research, I discovered that yeah, apparently all the kids in the school were meant to be twelve-year-olds. But that girl in question, can you can you guess just how old she actually was at the time? Twenty. Well, you're cl- uh, twenty-one. Twenty-one. Twenty-one, and I didn't remember actually thinking. I was like, that looks like an adult. Like, Do you but know not- I didn't pay any attention enough. No, but it's not like in that way where it's like, you know, like American high school movies where it's like they're clearly 30 year olds playing teenagers. It's actually just kind of more like it just had that weird off look, which I guess kind of helps serve to like its weirdness and its kind of weird creepinesses that it's like this is meant to be a child, but it's clearly an adult. Mm. Uh, It's definitely very strange. I think as well, just going back to how how much of an intellectual level the Mm. teacher is when she does, obviously she tries to, he tells them how terrible they are. Mm. and she finally brings up that Rowan is dead, or she hints towards Rowan is dead. Yes. Um, and he sort of goes on and on, and she says that here we do not use the word dead. Yeah. Um, and obviously they believe in reincarnation rather than yeah. like death as itself. And he says that it's basically that it's stupid to believe in reincarnation. Yeah. And she then challenges him with the fact that. Um, reincarnation is more believable than resurrection, which, to be honest, if you think about it, is yeah, it's, it's a pretty like snapback. Oh yeah, to, Towards him, and then you sort of realise that these people are more intelligent. Yeah. And then he sort of makes them out to be. Yeah. Um. Um. There is quite a as you said, like a, a bit of a clap back there because it leads into the next scene as well, where she well he sort of says well she's dead where's the body kind of thing, um where's it buried um to which she informs him that there is uh, an old churchyard but he finds a bit confused when I think she says something along the lines of like the old churchyard or what used to be a churchyard what used to be, I think and he finds that obviously incredibly bizarre and he's like why is there sort of no presence of like Christianity or God here and she says well basically it's just sort of fallen out and it fallen out of that and it's not a Christian churchyard anymore and it's like the way that she sort of delivers it is almost kind of with like a knowing confidence of being like yeah fuck you <laughs> yeah your religion um, is not yeah it's, it, whatever here, it was like, you know? it's dead now like you know yeah. so you're gonna go to this old ruinous churchyard and it is indeed in ruin like there's just obviously, it's obviously also, angers him yeah because there's that one bit he like basically picks up a bit of wood yeah and forces it together to make a cross yeah because he just can't stand the fact yeah. that and there's also a woman in that churchyard as well who is um, breastfeeding a child whilst holding an egg. Yes. Um, which apparently is um, meant to be a symbolism of like a fertility ritual, apparently. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. that. It, it does seem very straight. Yeah. Even just from seeing it as like a fertility ritual. Apparently also um, when Edward Woodward actually visited the sort of filming locations again years later, just for fun, I guess, he went back to the town and the locations that they filmed in. And he went back to that churchyard, and apparently he found that crucifix again—the one that he made in that scene where he like splits the wood and makes crucifix. Well, apparently, it was still there on top of where he left it. Um, so apparently, it must just be incredibly rural and just out of the way enough that yeah. nobody ever touched it again, wow. which is uh, pretty nuts. And then you've got the umbilical cord. Oh yes, um, Rowan's supposed grave has a small tree with an umbilical cord. A Rowan tree. A Rowan tree. Yep, you're absolutely right. Um, speaking of which, as well, this is a good thing. Uh, I didn't even notice it at the time, but again, reading in uh, some research stuff led me to this: is that everybody's name is um, a plant, a flower, or a tree. Do you know I did actually? Yeah. That's because you got Rowan and Willow. Yeah, I'd once yeah. N- never once noticed that. I can't believe I didn't actually. I think it is such a ode to obviously. I mean, you don't really need to say paganism because they don't make it very. No. no. They don't say it's paganism, but yeah. I mean, you've got the the old sort of religions, and you believe more in earth, 
yeah. and giving back to the earth yeah. and um, you believe in what's there than rather what's than there, what's not yeah, like, yeah. And sort of respect and what's around you mm-hmm. so to give your own children names of the elements or plants is obviously shows you how much they do take into consideration the things around them yeah um yeah so then he goes wait then after the churchyard i can't remember what happens after that well, well, they actually well what they do after churchyard is he goes back to the sweet shop is that when the kids got the frog in her mouth yes. right okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> which um, i think is a great part because it's another sort of little hint towards old I also feel medicine like, <laughs> uh, yeah I know I, like outside of it even like maybe being something that like might be considered sort of normal in like a pagan culture that is kind of the kind of thing like I can imagine like my grand yeah that's kind of thing you would think that like your grandparents would tell you is like a remedy yeah. for like you know because I think it's like the kid has a sore throat or something she so has it's, a sore like, throat yeah so, so it's like all the you frog, put the frog in your yeah. mouth and it croaks and it takes and that's the kind of thing that I'd imagine like my grandparents would do to me when I was a kid yeah. to absolutely traumatize me <laughs> um and then yeah he has the he sort of confronts the mother again in the sweet shop but it doesn't really go anywhere he is once again kind of a massive dick to her and is like i've actually even noted down what he says i can see you're all raving mad um once again just kind of like sort of fle- the time. <laughs> yeah like just really flexing this like sort of moral superiority thing over everybody there and just everyone that he meets and it's just a little bit disheartening like it's just kind of like yeah. I know, I, like you know, you sort of begin to debate whether he is the kind of guy you should be sort of getting behind. Like the only reason you kind of maybe consider the townsfolk to be like an antagonist is that you know they could be keeping the secret of a dead little girl and stuff. But as sort of time goes on, Apart you realise that, that they're, they seem like lovely people. Yeah, exactly. Like, and you kind of really do begin to question like, is Harry actually really the hero anyway? Because yeah. he's like you know, I mean, surely to people who are probably also Christian fundamentalists as well they probably do watch the movie and think that he is the hero who tragically sort of gets smoked down at the end okay. um, but maybe that's sort of like a fun sort of subversion anyway is that you know he sort of goes into the movie as a hero but as time goes on he is kind of the villain of it really yes. he's the one kind of disrupting things as time goes on and this is sort of where we get to coming to the end of the film well no, I wouldn't say coming to the end but you, you kind of finally throughout this whole film you hear about this Lord Summer Yes, I've actually noted at this point. I've noted this is actually the third or fourth time that Summer Isle, Summer Isle's name gets mentioned. Yes. Um, and this is him. when, basically, leads us as you said earlier. He goes to get the death certificate and they tell yeah. him that he can't without the permission yeah. of Lord Summer Isle. So this is when you actually does lead to him going to yeah. meet him, which is the song again when he's in the car. Barley rigs, yeah. Um, which is actually again back to the director's cut. Um, you know, in this theatrical version we're only meeting Summer Isle more or less now, but in the director's cut we actually meet him a lot earlier. Um, in a very weird scene where I think he is outside the inn and he talks to Willow from the window, I think. And that's the first time you meet him and then there's yes. that very weird sequence where we kind of watch snails essentially having sex yeah. or something, yeah. which is very so odd. So it's only because of the cut that it's this far yes. in that you meet him. Which I think is good. Um, um, I, I actually quite like he's, that. He's very, like, I think by this time it's yeah. a good introduction. I mean, you have the big phallic symbols of the bushes yep. when he comes in, so yet again the same. And, you and also see, palm trees. Yes, and palm trees. And the women who are all naked. Yeah. Ritualising through dancing around the fireplace, um, which yet again you see that there are a lot of rituals in this yeah. community. Um, and obviously when he does ask the Lord about it, the Lord says that there's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Like why would you? I do have to just highlight how it is that we actually finally meet um, Lord Summerhill because it's great. Um, 
<laughs> at least I could. I sort of forgot about it, and it gave me a bit of a giggle when we watched it. Was that he sort of how he wanders through like Samuel's estate for a little while before finally meeting him, and he obviously like watches the girls doing the as Samuel explains later on, it's a fertility ritual again. Yeah. Um, but he sort of watches them from the window. And he's been in the room for like all of like two, three minutes at this stage, and then suddenly just behind him, like Christopher Lee just emerges from a chair by the fireplace. No, like he's in the room the entire time, but he just <laughs> just like steps out all of a sudden. Like if it was a swiveling chair, it would have been even funnier. Yes, but it's yes. the fact that he just kind of gets up out of nowhere, and uh, Christopher Lee is just just chewing it up. Uh, he is just absolutely fantastic. I love Christopher Lee in this oh, movie. Oh, his lines. Just in this he's scene, great. his lines like, are brilliant. And also, like, I mean, I've sort of noted it anyway, but I mean, he is like he is so incredibly charismatic like he i i feel like you know not even just christopher lee playing him but i feel like if if lord samurai was a real person i would sit and listen to him sort of talk and explain things and sort of find him to be a very reasonable and very personable guy he was very calm for the Mm. way that obviously the sergeant is towards him oh yeah yeah and he sort of calmly tries to explain everything um there was a great line that he says that it's, um, we don't commit murder here. Yeah. We are a deeply religious community, which then the, the sergeant has to religious. kicks yeah. off and says that he can't believe this. Yeah. Um, that because it isn't obviously God itself from the Christian religion, it yeah. obviously can't be a religious society. Yeah. Um, and oh, so many great lines. And then he yeah. says that you have to love nature and to fear it. Yeah. Here the gold. Here the old gods aren't dead. Yes. And yes. to which how he responds, "What about the god?" Um, it just it really is. Yeah. Um, like he he is a great character, and it is it it works that he sort of gets introduced more towards the sort of end of the movie because it sort of gives him a much more sort of competitive ideological force to bounce off of. Because yes. I feel like up until that point, when how he sort of goes off on like his big rants and stuff like you know everybody just kind of like shrugs it off or whatever and he's just being a total knob whereas like you know Samuel actually sort of engages them in a conversation about it yeah. um, and there's a great bit actually after they have their long discussions and there's this great great scene sort of in the middle of this whole thing where he walks them around the island and explains like the Samuel history and like where the sort of fertility of the land comes from and how his like great great ancestor like founded the island and mm. got the townsfolk to work together to sort of make it what it is and stuff and he just goes on at length and just like you know how he is kind of like not like wrapped around his finger but he he is engaged and walks around with him and listens to him tell the story and as it sort of comes to the end um like you know how he's once again like by the way i only just came here to get permission to exhume rowan's grave yes and he like some and just like peak sassiness just sort of slaps back and just goes I already gave you permission like you've just been sitting listening to me chat shit like it just kind of goes to show like you know that I'm just kind of a lot smarter than you and just kind of like I've got you sort of hanging on my thread kind of thing and then he finishes off the conversation and probably the funniest side in the entire movie where it was like it was a pleasure meeting a Christian copper which is yes, usually the funniest like um, so good and to be honest like that um, is just that whole scene in a bottle I absolutely love it like uh, Christopher Lee's absolutely fantastic oh, Christopher Lee is apart from obviously we were saying about the, the main character yeah. um, what's his name Howie yeah. no the actor's name oh Edward Woodward yes it's yeah. incredible yeah. in this yeah. whole role but Christopher Lee I mean everyone talks about Christopher Lee's role yeah. in this but he really is like the presence yeah. he brings is like incredible and apparently he done it for free Really? Yeah, apparently done it for free. This is something I was reading in my notes again, is that apparently um, Christopher Lee took this on for free. Well, I am, do you know what? I'm not surprised. He must have been, because like, Christopher Lee is yeah. very, I mean, 
it's been openly talked about, but it's obviously into very other spiritual yeah, yeah. areas and stuff. Um, so it seems right up the street. Also, which I was going to mention earlier, because you were talking about you've seen the remake. Mm. I've seen the sequel, and I don't think oh, you've right, seen yeah, the sequel. Oh, yeah, I've not seen the sequel. No, the sequel, no. the, um, the, the Wicker, Wicker Tree. tree. Um, and Chris Lee actually has a little cameo yeah, on it. Yeah, so I've heard, yeah. Because um, it's a completely different cast and quite modern in comparison. I wouldn't say it's held, like... It is very different. It's yes. very different. It was something the director wanted to do to carry this on, but I think that Christopher Lee must have been very because by the time they'd done the remake, he was so old, um, and to come back and openly do a cameo, he must be quite. Invested. Oh yeah, yeah. And, you know. um, I mean, even then, like, um, it's kind of nuts to think that the Wicker Tree was, uh, from what I remember, I think it was two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of like you know that was uh, even for um Robin Hardy to come back and direct it again like years later is is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I, don't, I can't remember when Christopher Lee died, to be honest. But sometimes I just find myself forgetting that Christopher Lee is actually oh, dead. I know, I know. Um, um, so then, leaving um, Lord Summer Isle's place, he goes to exhume Rowan's grave to find uh, there is a rabbit in it. Well, a hare in it. A hare. Um, it's d- not a yeah, rabbit. No, it's, it's definitely not a, rabbit. a hare animal. Yeah, we have to. Because there was the big bit that they say that they don't like rabbits. Yeah. Um, it's it's only hares. So they obviously yeah. have a big issue with yeah. rabbits. Once here. again, foreshadowing again, because. Um, May, May Morrison's other, well, a supposedly only daughter is obviously painting a picture of a hare at the start of the film, mm-hmm. and she says that Rowan is a hare, and she, that she likes running through the fields and such, um, to only discover that indeed in the ground is a hare, to which um, Howie brings the corpse of the hare back to Summer Isle to sort of confront him, and he's just kind of like in his best Scottish attire at this point, like playing piano <laughs> and like having got, yeah, he's having it, he's in a kilt and he's got like the sort of traditional jacket on and he's just playing piano and having a grand old time with his partner his wife or someone it's a school um, teacher it's also it's it is yeah you're right yeah. Yes, yeah and um she comments on the fact that the fact that it's a hair means that it's, it must be a very good as she says a very good transmutation well it's because this is actually i did actually say that, the the hair is a symbol for reincarnation yeah there you go um through the years that has been said so obviously it's a symbolism in this for the reincarnation of Rowan which yeah. she obviously tries to make clear yeah but he thinks is a complete joke which I think is a sort of joke that they're trying to hint at like yeah. oh well we believe in this and this is what's yeah. happening sort of thing and I guess this is kind of like not the inciting incident obviously but I guess this is the kind of thing where how he sort of puts his hands up and says fuck this it's time to really sort of go all out with this so by that point he um, threatens uh, a full investigation um, to get uh, police from the mainland over to help investigate with him um, to which sort of Lord Summerall just kind of shrugs off um, how he leaves and he breaks into the pharmacy um, there was also a conversation with the pharmacist at one point as well about trying to find like old records or old pictures um, to which he says that he doesn't have any um, so now he returns, he breaks in at night and he is able to find uh, the picture of Rowan, the original picture that was missing from the wall in the Green Man Inn mm-hmm. um, to which we discover that um, obviously in all the other pictures all the other um, past May Day ladies, girls have um, fruitful crops in all the pictures um, but apart Rowan's, from apart yes. from Rowan who doesn't have any so he starts going under the assumption that they are going to, they have killed her or are going to kill her uh, on the basis that the crops have failed because of her. Uh, just before that, well, they well they were with Summerell. Um, they make it clear that May Day is tomorrow. Yes. Um, so... There is also that very corny bit where, like, um, he, he I think it's when he discovers that picture, and he has like the the 
the echoed voice of somewhere else being yes. like, and Moody is Tom Orton, and then they zoom in very dramatically on a calendar with May yeah, first circle. Yes, yes, yeah, so. um, speaking of, I just I uh, can't believe we've not talked about it already, and it's just a brief thing, honestly. But um, the number, I, there's nothing funnier to me in a movie, depending on how it's used, than a good zoom. And there are so many zooms in this movie that are just bordering on comedy of how funny they are especially oh, yeah, like yeah. that one of the calendar is kind of a slow zoom so it's kind of like oh, okay whatever but even like there are a couple of people that just get like a nice big dramatic zoom in on their face like when something happens and it's great and i love that kind of thing mm. um and then sort of what goes on from there and so going on from that um how he decides to do a little bit of research about mayday festivities and goes to the local library of which he reads a book um about mayday traditions as everybody's kind of preparing for it at the same time um, I don't have a whole lot of notes about it at the moment, but obviously the main thing being that there are sort of three key figures into the whole sort of procession of Mayday being um, the man-woman, which is yes. actually, uh, that's a direct thing, that's what they say. Um, the... the horse and punch, which is probably well, wasn't, the most important it was the, one. The the animal person i think yeah yeah to it as. so in this one it is the horse yeah. man and obviously punch, punch which is the character that everyone sort of well, yeah i think everyone from punch and judy yes which is kind of through punch and judy it's the fool yeah it's it is, it is like fool, a yeah. gesture yeah um sort of. and for the sort of purposes of this um it's probably the most important one out of the three yes, um but also yes. as they kind of highlight as well is kind of the most uh, important character in um, this particular sort of tradition as well. Yes, it's kind of left ominous, but yeah, they do say in the book that the punch is sort of the jester, the, yeah. the joke. He's a trickster, um, but he is the chosen king for the day. Yeah. So it's sort of like taking someone that is the joke of the town. Yeah. Um, and giving them the rights of the day, and yeah. they get to sort of be the king of the island for the day. Yeah. Um, he also, um, as he's sort of doing all this exposition, it's done uh, via voiceover, and um, where he reads off all the information from the book, um, and then at some point he just kind of cuts off from that and just speaks out loud once again, just kind of like admonishing like the people of the town for being like you know godless or whatever, <laughs> and there just happens to be like a little old lady sitting next to him who's just kind of like oh okay go off on one I guess <laughs> like uh, so I feel quite bad for her but um, yeah he then sort of realizes the um, sort of urgency sort of going on he by this point suspects that um obviously there has to be a sort of sacrifice on mayday and he assumes that it's going to be uh ruined for um having the crops fail yes so um, this is when this this is mayday so you've yeah. got the beginning of the processions yeah so you start hearing the music play oh there's a great scene with the children holding a baby yeah yeah uh, actually, i had more <laughs> of that as well it's bringing the the dead, I think. Yeah, I, it was like bringing the dead to protect me or something. Yeah, it was something so they're, like, they're very talking odd. about death, protecting them as yeah. they run through the village. And then you see the different characters sort of come together. Yeah, so and they're all wearing masks. The people all come together. The whole village is in animal masks. Yeah. Um, Which we see in creepy fashion because, strangely, and again, this is something that I, I find a bit weird, is that after sort of learning this information, he decides to go back. Like, he goes to his plane as if to leave. But to, then he can't physically exactly, leave. Exactly. Yeah, but then it's it's strange that like he is sort of given this urgent kind of like oh god they're gonna sacrifice and like you know he said that he was gonna go and get everybody from the mainland for main investigation and stuff. Mm -hmm. But given the sort of urgency, it's a bit odd for him to get in a plane 
to fly back to get everybody back over and presumably she'll be dead if this is indeed the case um, so I think he's just hoping it's yeah, not going to take off. Um, but I think it's also like it's a very odd way of just kind of showing yes. that like he's stuck there now. Like you know, yeah. the, the plane is apparently well, obviously been sabotaged. It's not working, and he has to stay on the island. There's that great bit when he is trying to get into the plane, and suddenly like all the villagers by the harbor are like hiding behind a small wall, and they all kind of like stand up slowly just to look at him as he fails to get his plane started, and yeah. uh, they're all wearing masks, uh, very odd animal masks, um, which of course goes on all over the place. Um, he walks through the town. Um, following this and there's lots and lots of creepy mass shenanigans going on and then he sort of follows around the guy in the horse costume for a while yes and that's when he finds the everyone dressed yeah and they're getting ready to head out for they're the getting procession. ready to head out the procession which their tradition is that the three characters yes are all men from the island and they chase the women of the island yep. through to try and capture them um, in a sort of like in a playful, not they yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. catch them, but that's the the tradition that they have. Um, and th- is this before he takes over? Yes, well, this like is. He... So he sees this and he goes back to the inn, doesn't he? Well, no, no, because there's a whole scene as well. I can't quite remember exactly how it pans out. Like I can't remember if it's before or I think it's before he discovers the guy in the horse outfit and he's like chasing around the guy in the horse costume where mm-hmm. he basically says that he's going to knock down every door to like try and find oh, out yes, yes. Um, so there's a very odd montage of how he's running around um, trying to uh, find out where Rowan is and he just encounters some really odd things like he meets a guy um, and he's like what's in your cupboard or whatever and he shows him the costume that he's wearing for the festival which is the salmon of knowledge which is probably my favourite character in the entire movie Um, there's also the odd casket with the guy with one hand and the coins over his eyes um, there's no, I think gr- that is a dead person. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's the dead girl, well, the girl playing dead in the cupboard that falls out. Yes. Um, yes. There's a whole lot of very odd stuff to just kind of like cement just how kind of nuts everything is getting for this sort of celebration. Yes. So it's a little bit mental. Um, and also there's a random bit where he like uh sort of like knocks on someone's door and there's just a naked woman in like a very small tub bathing yes. and he's just like oh i'm sorry and then I just think sort of it, shuts I think the door it's all just them making fun of the yeah absolutely like um there, there was a great line around about this and i cannot remember i think it's when he's spying on them when lord summerell is getting ready yeah before he gets his costume on and they're talking about the sacrifice of the sun gods yeah um which is obviously the first time that they actually talk about the sacrifice yeah. um, and they're, I can't remember if they say it to him but there's a line saying you'll simply not understand the true nature of sacrifice yeah that's um, that's uh, Mae Morrison that says that to him oh is it Mae Morrison yeah. it is because um, he says to her like that she's a terrible stuff, person yeah. um, for being the mother um, but I think that's a great line it is yeah it's in fact the one that's printed on the back of the yes it is DVD on the back of the DVD have, yeah um, and then obviously he goes back to the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, this is um <laughs> the inn room. Yeah, um, um, and honestly, probably one of the weirdest sort of um style choices ever, where he just says that he's going to go and have a nap, and within no one to bother him. Yeah, and within sixty seconds of him going up to his bed and falling, well, uh, supposedly falling asleep, fully clothed, um, the landlord, campy landlord, and his daughter are basically scheming 
directly outside the door. Like, it's just a little bit outside the door, but it's still, like, directly outside the door, and it's almost at room volume. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, oh, right, he's definitely asleep. Well, let's get past, you know, and it's... But I get, again, there's... It's, it's obviously a lot yeah, of, like, a ploy. trying to yeah. ploy. And, there's, yeah. But it's, uh, it is also quite... I think it's quite comical. Yeah, it is quite um, comical. They also place um, the iconic hand candle in his room when they do this. Uh, I don't know what the intention was. I think they were maybe trying to sort of imply that, like, I don't know, it would keep him sleeping for longer yeah, or something. Yeah, she does say that, that it's um, um, to keep him asleep. Yeah, uh, but he obviously wakes up, knocks it over, and then he uh, knocks out um, Camp Landlord and takes his punch costume yes. to join the procession undercover. And then I guess at this point we are pretty much in, like, finale territory at this point. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's going to be about an extra, like, 20-odd minutes before we get there, but uh, this is pretty much the run-up to the this end. This is run-up, which is pretty pretty much the march yeah the top they of the just, hill yeah so it's just everything through the march so i mean they they start going up and he has to there's the bit that lord samurai was like oh come on like where's your energy blah blah yeah. blah and he, um he has to act a bit more yeah. like he's enjoying the situation um they pass the stone circle again yeah. which i think is a big hint again of the religion yeah. and everything of the community um and then they do the the swordsman bit the sword star Sword star, yeah, that's star it. which is another sort of nod. Yeah. Um. Again, um. But this scene is sort of they they make it out that it's a game of choice. No chance. Game of chance. Yeah. So everyone has to put their head into the swords, yeah. and then by chance, if they get their yeah. head cut off or not. Exactly. Which um seems very deadly. But, it is a little um, bit, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, what is the what is tradition and what's the what's the ploy? Yes, yes, um, exactly. So obviously, the person who said they do end up chopping off is in fact um, a small girl who is wearing a mask that is sitting on top of her head. So when they decapitate her, they decapitate the mask and actually not the actual head. And, and everybody laughs, laughs um, <laughs> which is very bizarre. But then again, it's one of those things. Back, it's probably that is, just a ploy. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things that's almost kind of creepy in a weird way, where it's like, what is the tradition and what is what's the lure what's the what's yes, the trap yes. um and then they move on from there but before we do i just want to talk that for the entirety of this finale um which is great obviously christopher lee is playing the man woman in the procession um just generally looking a bit odd um he looks like someone but i cannot for the life of me remember who that person is um but he, during this entire finale um christopher lee is wearing trainers uh, do you know that's like, there is actually a reason for that oh really yes Yes, I actually... Do you have club foot or something? No, no. Um, well, I think it was a choice by him, yeah. for one. But they made it clear that the, they liked the mix of, like, the the old... The new. With the new. Yeah. So, obviously, you had, like... It, at the time, it was set in current day. Yeah. But then they had the, the old gods and the, the pagan elements and everything. Yeah. But with little snips of, yeah. like... So, you had these weird things, like the old ways and then on top yeah it'd be like with a set of trainers i just on think it it's well. i just think like, it's super endearing like i just look at it and think oh wow like you know I, I, the, the, I guess the head cannon for me was always that like especially with like you know them sort of doing the procession through the countryside and then sort of going up onto like the sort of mountain bit near mm-hmm. the coast and stuff i was always like maybe that was just the most comfortable thing to wear and that always just kind of seemed like the no, most... No, that's <laughs> the reason behind yeah, it. Yeah, I always just thought that would just seem that it was quite endearing, but yeah, um, and then, so what do we do? Oh yes, then we move on from the head chopping bit to the beach barrel draining thing, when yeah, they so chop the give, barrels of Giving back to the sea. Yeah. So they, they give ale as a... Sort of offering. Offering, yeah. yeah. Offering to the ocean. 
and then that is when we finally see Raymond. Yeah, finally, yep. Um, and it is, um, I mean, I guess it is kind of meant to be kind of almost a bit corny, where it's like, you look at it and it looks like the sort of traditional idea of like what sort of sacrifice looks like. She, she's got her hands tied up and there's a bunch of people with like big fire sticks like sort of leading up to her and stuff and weird masks. Um, to which uh, Harry immediately breaks his cover and goes up to get her. And it's like, don't worry, I'm a policeman. Um, and they, she grabs, yeah, he grabs her, and they start running. Um, with the oddest music choice of probably in the entire the whole movie. Film, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very, um, almost cop movie kind of getaway song. If you know yeah. what I mean, it's the kind of staccato guitars, and it's it's very strange. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's great. It's a very short chase sequence. It's a very short chase. Yeah. So they, they they go through the caves and yeah. come out. Yeah, the other you side. You start yeah. feeling all great, and then you see the townspeople again. You said, Lord, Lord, yeah, somewhere else. And out of makeup, it, out of man woman yep. makeup. And then you finally realise when Rowan runs straight across them yep. and asks if she's she done asks right, how she did, yeah. That this has all been a ploy all yep. along. Um, it is indeed the old double cross. Um of course. and now we're finally in movie finale time. So I mean he finally works out that he's not as smart as he thinks he is. No, absolutely not. Um and has completely been played. And they make it very clear, though, that he's came of his own free will. Yes, uh, I actually made a list of all the conditions that he met in yes. order to be the perfect sacrifice, because they said that they, they couldn't sacrifice a child, but they had to sacrifice the, and I've actually quoted this correctly, the, the right kind of adult. Yes, The right was. kind of adult to them apparently being a virgin, yep. and being a fool slash punch, obviously, yeah. uh, a champion slash king, um, which he was because he was a messenger of um, authority, so he was yeah. a policeman, which made yeah. him the champion slash king and that he came of his own free will as well. Um, I guess, and again, to the sort of, like, virgin condition being that, like, you know, they would have been absolutely fucked if he decided to, like, you know, break his virginity with Brett well, Eckman. That, that was the it's test. It's the test, the yeah. test at the start. Um, um, so he's, like, you know, by being by being so faithful and being so honest and being sort of what he always believed was right has sort of led him to his doom in this instance, which is probably yeah. the most tragic thing about it, to be honest. Like, I know I kind of said that you are kind of, like, at a certain stage you kind of stop rooting for him because he is a bit of an arsehole but by the end like, yeah he's the, scene, the, the defeat that you obviously oh, yeah, realise yeah. um, it's he's, awful like, he's gone out of his way to obviously try and help find this girl and yeah. he feels like he finally has and then it's yeah. just double cross and he, he realises it's all been a whole ploy the whole time yeah it was just to get to him yeah um, and I mean like also by this stage as well like you know he's still um He's still holding on to Jesus Christ for dear life. Uh, like yes. he still he still finds an opportunity to try and admonish the the group by telling them that uh, they're godless and that um, you know as a Christian he can only hope for resurrection anyway. Yes. Um, but obviously that you know he'll he'll sort of die under sort of God's protection um, and it won't. Doesn't he, matter what they it do. won't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, trying to just just make them and as he's going on about this and on about this. You, they're walking up, yeah. obviously the hill, and you finally see the zoom, the wicker man. Yeah, the great zoom, um, which uh, everyone remembers the last scene, which is literally it's not long at all. No, no, no. Um, but everyone remembers the the going over the hill scene. Yeah. Where you, you um, first see it. And that line delivery, uh, I mean, it's iconic for a reason, but obviously <laughs> oh, just yes. the way that he the way he that he says it, and I'm and again actually also researching this as well. Apparently, um. Robin Hardy offered um, Edward Woodward to come up to the location where they were going to film the final scene multiple times, to which mm -hmm. he refused, saying that like 
I'll see it when I get there for when we're filming it. Yeah. Um, and supposedly that, that the sort of reaction that he held as he sort of come over the hill and the camera does that dramatic zoom in on his face, apparently that's obviously more or less completely natural. He, um, Edward Woodward himself has said that's like 50% Edward Woodward and 50% um, Sergeant Howie kind of there's reacting really, like, to that. It's really interesting because it must be... I mean, you think about the size of the yeah, yeah, yeah. man alone. Like, yeah. if he has never seen mm, yeah, yeah. the scene that he's acting, and he's yeah. all of a sudden exactly. going over the hill, and it's like, oh, I have thing. to get inside that. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, but the great line is, oh, "Oh God, oh Jesus Christ!" Yes. Oh God, oh Jesus Christ! Love it. Um, it is a great line. Like, and it's just yeah. I mean, to be honest, like he, uh, as much praise as we've given Edward Weaver for his performance in this movie, anyway, um, that that last snippet of the movie um he really just does like act the ever-living fuck out of it like he just you i mean in a way you do feel quite bad for him uh, yeah. i mean obviously you realize no, what's coming yeah. as soon as he says that line you know yeah um it's bad like yeah. even you even see it if you're watching it for the first time you don't know how it's going to end then the moment you kind of see the whole thing there you know exactly what could possibly happen yeah. you look at take one look at it and think well that's extremely flammable yeah. <laughs> like, I know. um and yeah it's not good uh it's not a very pleasant ending um despite how sort of strangely op strangely optimistic it kind of is not for Howie of course but obviously by the time that he gets thrown inside it like the townsfolk start singing a jolly well, old song jolly old. and he still continues to pray yeah he still pray prays yeah. he prays the whole way through it so he which is a bit damning as well because as soon as he prays the, the sound of the villagers kind of drowns him yeah, out yeah absolutely so you realise how much his religion doesn't actually matter yeah. at this point and exactly I mean his god isn't going to save yeah. him anymore is considering obviously that christianity is, and yeah. most forms of christianity are kind of like a majority based religion he is kind of like he's for the first a time he's a minority yeah. um and he's just getting completely drowned out by all these people yeah. as they eventually sort of set fire to it um which apparently like you know they did obviously have to heat up a lot and they you know, actually set stuff on fire while he was in it apparently mm-hmm. they were filming it and apparently he said they genuinely thought he was going to get burned alive at one point because it was that bad apparently also a goat that was um held above him and the wicker man apparently also uh, urinated on him at one point <laughs> i'm not um, surprised the mental livestock that is yeah. in the wicker man um, there's like a crazy. whole bunch of weird things that again sort of researching like sort of weird production things or trivia or anecdotes or whatever the one weird thing i've sort of discovered is that Britt eckland who plays willow has mm-hmm. more probably the, the biggest sort of person in the sort of cast and production and stuff who really didn't like the movie like she didn't like working on it like she also ha- well she has all because she's Swedish she has all her lines dubbed um, the, does she? Like, yeah she does yeah okay. um, which you can sort of tell but you would kind of think that's maybe it's just ADR I thought that would have just been her voice but apparently it's not um, apparently she tried to do a Scottish accent and got told that it was shite <laughs> um, her dancing scene was also done with body doubles um, which apparently she was upset about but then when people asked her about the scene later on they said that she didn't like doing it and it's not her body and that she was pregnant at the time and it's a whole thing um she also apparently said again i don't know if this is part of like the sort of flame campaign of not liking being in the wicker man but she said that apparently like uh robin hardy and stuff might have actually killed animals that were in the wicker man when they were filming it um and some of them might have actually like died due to some burns or whatever which apparently robin hardy has denied saying that mm. obviously like none of the animals were harmed they wouldn't have made a movie if the animals were yeah um they've been shut down pretty quickly uh, I get guessance from the subject of Brett Eklund very quickly as well apparently at the time um, she was dating Rod Stewart oh okay. yeah very weird and he trying to block the movie getting released because it showed her naked but well, again naked. I know this kind of thing like it's oh, okay, it's, right. it's a whole it's like almost kind of like a he said she said thing where she kind of seems like she doesn't like the movie and kind of wants to like discredit a lot of it 
but then I don't know how that whole thing worked. I guess if I was to read into it more, I'd probably get a little bit more information. Um, but sorry, back to the the ending. There's not an awful lot to say as the whole thing comes burning. Down. It just ends. That's it. it. Just it's ends. just yeah, the burning of the wicker man and the sun setting and the community dancing, and then yeah. you sort of realise, yeah, that his religion doesn't hold anything really. No, absolutely. Um, to it. It is an old versus new thing, yeah. and you know he was sort of being a bit too pushy and a bit too sort of judgmental, mm-hmm. and um, sort of for that he kind of suffered for it. Um, which is and bizarre. everyone, everyone dies. I think is a big part of it as well. Mm. Um, I mean, they talk about reincarnation. Yeah. The whole point of it is to reincarnate into their crops. Yeah. Their, into the land and into, into the, land. the food that they eat and the crops they grow. Um, but yeah, it just sort of what ends there. You don't. <laughs> yeah, um, that's it. I mean, it's that's the ending that you get, and whether you see that as a cheery ending yeah. or a, a not cheery ending, I wouldn't really see it. It's not. I mean, you do feel sorry happy. for him. By you do. The end, you do. But um, I wouldn't say it's one of those films where you feel absolutely like no traumatized um, by the end because, exactly. as you say throughout, he isn't likeable he isn't a very likeable character no. throughout so you don't feel completely attached to him and you know that it's going to be a sort of cycle as well because you know say even like 30 to 50 odd years down the line in the sort of the movies sort of chron- chronology is that you know what if Christianity sort of takes it back up again on the island kind of thing and then mm. it's only Lord Summerisle left and then it's kind of just like now it's Lord Summerisle is kind of in Howie's shoes and you know no. But that well, game, he, I guess he, that's kind of the idea. He makes that like, clear because he says that what will happen is they will never be happy with their crops. Yeah. Next year it'll and next come year and it'll, they'll have to sacrifice some um, But um, No, I think The Wicked Man is like obviously the perfect and the peak example of folk horror. Yeah. I think you can't really take anything else. I mean, you have so many other old. Um, you got Blair Witch, but I wouldn't yeah. say. I mean, it is a folk horror. Yeah, it is about. Uh, it has it has the DNA there. It's got it's got elements, um, but there's also other elements within that. You yeah. You have other sort of themes throughout. I um, mean, again, like folk horror is a funny thing because what sort what genuinely entails folk horror exactly? Um, see, I would say folk horror has to do with which the Blair Witch has is a like a folk tale. Yeah. So. With the Wicker Man, obviously, it's it is a folk tale about the Wicker Man. Yeah. Um, and you've got like other films that have sort of got a story. I'd say sort of to towards it. I mean. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a I guess, you know, especially in Britain, we've probably done folk horror more or less the same kind of way, um, especially with like you know stuff like uh. Like Kill List is a folk horror, yes. um, but only kind of in the last ten minutes. Um, it doesn't really have that sort of theme going throughout it. There's a little bit there, but to be honest, Kill List is kind of a crime thriller for the majority of the movie until the end. Um, and then obviously I get. Uh, but by the end, it does do a good job. No, like, absolutely. I think, especially as a British one, it's. Um... And uh, speaking of um, Ben Wheatley films in general, Field in England is a great folk horror, but it's not. It's a folk movie, but it's not a folk horror movie. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of weird sort of scary bits in it, but it's mostly like a drug movie meets old traditional um, English countryside storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, like you know, some of these things they all seem to be kind of set like you know sort of years and years ago. 
Um, or recent-ish. Yeah. And a lot of the recent ones, I don't think, do a very good job of it. It's, no. Um, like, you could say also, like, The Ritual is almost kind of like a folk horror movie. I think The Ritual movie. is a good folk horror movie for a modern one. But it's, it's not just a folk horror. It's got a lot of other elements to it, no. which is most of the reason we didn't speak about that. Because the whole reason we were doing this yeah. it was to sort of take two films the same sort of genre from new and old yeah. or different things that different. have the same DNA or the same kind of yeah. structure or similar um, themes or styles so we wanted to start with The Wicker Man because it is such a pillar yeah. to folk horror that you can't really have anything else that has the same effect as The Wicker Man yeah it's also very easy to talk about um, oh 100% yeah. um, I've been a big fan of the movie for a very long time and obviously people uh, still love it it's still held in high regard these days um is there anything else you want to say about The Wicker Man? I think it has aged well. It has aged well. Yeah. I don't think that it's aged badly. No, I think no. that it still holds the same feelings and messages as it planned to the first time it went around. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not as shocking to people. No. But I think for someone that has never, ever, ever seen it, yeah. I think it does still have that shocking yeah. element. Um, and as far as the subgenre of folk horror is concerned, it's probably the best gateway. Yes, I mean, yes. everybody will probably agree with that. One hundred percent. You you don't get anything as good, I would say. No. As the Wicker Man. Absolutely not. It's so perfectly done. I mean, obviously the director had such a a good insight. Yeah. And really did put heart and soul into it. It wasn't anything that they just sort of made up. Like there there was a lot of research went into it. Yeah. And a lot of heart went into it. Um, and I think that's what done it well and for such a short film, not the director's cut yeah. but for the the, actual, the theatrical, the cut. theatrical yeah. cut it's quite a good short film for what it's trying to get across yeah. and there is, um, there's a whole lot of, um, sort of speculation and stuff as to what happened to the original cut because there's a whole lot of weird backstory about the sort of film being released as you sort of mentioned to me earlier which I didn't know until I went in to read more about it oh, was yes, uh, yes, yes. that the film was cut um, considerably time-wise um, by the head of British Lion and EMI at the time and it was released as the B feature on a double feature of Don't Look Now by Nicholas Rogue and um, The Wicker Man. Which maybe. is ironic because Very those strange. two films that are now absolute yeah. peaks of culture yeah. and films and horror films yeah. especially Don't Look Now. Yeah, no, I was going to say especially different sorts of yeah, horror yeah. films, so not a traditional horror film. Yeah. You've got Don't Look Now and The Wicker Man, I think, yeah. for being released as something yeah. that was just a B-side to... And there is, like, you know, as with many things as well, there's the the mystery element of, like, sort of where did it go and how was it made kind of thing. Um, and sort of in my research, it's quite interesting to find that apparently... Um, in order to try and market it for the States, um, the head of EMI British Line at the time sent... Um, the un, well the original cut the sort of ninety nine minute cut I think it was mm-hmm. to uh, Roger Corman in America Roger Corman being like probably one of the biggest producers of movies at the time and still could not arguably now <laughs> uh, but obviously big schlock producer and stuff as well and he suggested um kind of butchering the cut and um taking quite a few uh, minutes off it in order to make it sort of palatable to American audiences. Um, when a lot. <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, and then apparently when Robin Hardy and Anthony Schaefer and co sort of went back to try and get um, a sort of director's cut made 
they couldn't find a, a large amount of the original raw footage that they captured until they got in contact with um, Roger Corman who still had it and that was the original one that was left. Um, I'm going to finish off with just a couple of little anecdotes that I just find incredibly interesting that I can't not share. Uh, but apparently the original full-length negative print um, was actually used in landfill for the construction of the M3 motorway. Oh, um, Christopher Lee has confirmed this because the head of British Lion and um, EMI at the time was a fellow called Michael Dealey uh, apparently just did not like the movie. And, uh, yeah, so I've heard that it. They, yeah. it was all sort of, the way well, they released off, it was they, yeah. they were really bad. Yeah, and they it. wanted it kind of cut down. Um, they wanted loads of scenes removed and stuff yeah. as well. Um, and finally, the last little anecdote that I just have to finish on because this is just too good. So I'm just going to read it in its entirety, and this comes from IMDb trivia. Um, in 1989, screen, screenwriter Anthony Schaefer wrote a 30 page script treatment titled The Loathsome Lampton Worm, a direct sequel to the movie. It would have been a f more fantastical in subject matter than The Wicker Man and relied more heavily on visual effects. In this continuation of the story, which begins immediately after the ending of the movie, Sergeant Neil Howey is rescued from the burning wicker man by a group of police officers from the mainland. Howey sets out to bring Lord Sumrail and his pagan followers to justice, but comes embroiled in a series of challenges which pits the old gods against his own Christian faith. The script culminates in a climactic battle between Howey and a fire-breathing dragon. The title, Lambton Worm, and... And a fire-breathing dragon, the title Lambton Worm. Okay. And ends with a suicidal Howie plunging to his death from a cliff well tied to two large eagles. Yeah, I mean, that's just fucking nuts. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I, I've not... Uh, this is the first I'd ever heard of this. Um, I've never heard of it. No, neither had I. Uh, so this is absolutely bonkers. Um, just a complete departure from everything. Um, Thank God. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely crazy. Like, yeah... Um, I just thought that in sort of doing all the research for these things, this is probably one of the most interesting things I've sort of come up against. And just thought I had to, I just had to, if, if you never heard of this before, then same here. Uh, absolutely fantastic bit of trivia. Um, and I guess we can only dream of how, in the love of God, that would have oh actually God, turned out. Yes, I, um, I mean, God knows, I'm surprised that's just not how the American one turned out years later. So. Oh no. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the, I think The Wicker Man is a great example of folklore. Yeah. And I think the amount of little nods in it it's yep. done really well it is yeah it's spot on and uh obviously it's influence is um felt far and wide throughout all kinds of movies uh going forward but particularly with our yeah. next one um which would come in 2019 and would be made by an american and american cast i think mostly yeah um i think one of them might be i think one of them's british i think you might be right I think if we're thinking of the same yes. person. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Then yeah. Um but yeah, we'll yeah. get on to that one shortly. Next.